More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Only a few days after Pedro Carvajal was appointed CEO of his family's centenarian business in 2020, he was faced with an unprecedented challenge. The COVID-19 pandemic upended life and commerce around the world, sending a ripple effect of transformation through societies and industries. Despite the formidable challenges, Pedro and the entire Carvajal organization united around the company's long-standing culture of putting people first and doing things right. In this episode, Pedro tells us about how his family's core beliefs and social agenda are critical factors in maintaining the company's performance and longevity, why he doesn't think about the future too often, and how he balances his many roles. Enjoy this episode with Pedro. Thank you very much, Pedro. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an, it's an honor to be here. Pedro, I think you are in such a special position. We have been talking to your family members about the Carvajal story, and it's been so interesting to see how your family has sort of like come together and built this business and, and how the family's role in and around the business has evolved. But I think your position and your situation is quite special because a few years ago, you took on the role of CEO uh, of the family business. And actually that makes you, I think, only one, it makes you one out of only two family members who currently actually have operational roles in the family business, which is, which is very uh, interesting because considering how involved you all are, how enthusiastic everyone is in the Carvajal family around the Carvajal enterprise and, and the foundation. So I was really surprised to hear that you're actually only two right now in the operational business, and then you become a family member CEO of the business after a long time. I think before that you had like several non-family CEOs. I just want to ask you this first question, Pedro. You take that job. What were your thoughts on the first day that you stepped into that position? Because that must have been quite something for you. You walk in there carrying the name. The name is above the door. Like, tell us about your mindset on that first day as the CEO of the Carvajal Enterprise. Well, uh, it was, I think, in 2019 that the process started. I was running the packaging division at that time, which is the largest subsidiary that we have. And the former CEO asked me that if I wanted to participate because the delegate committee has seen the profile. And when they saw my experience, they said, your profile fits what they're looking for. They had talked to Egon Center, Corn Ferry, Spencer Stewart, several of these headhunters. Finally, it was Corn Ferry and the whole process started. As you know, you get all these types of exams that you have to go through. And I went through all those exams. Then the whole interview process started. And I think I went through five or six interviews uh, and they were telling me so after each stage how I was doing. Then in February 
of 2020. They told me I was in the final list. And then in March 30th of 2020, they told me that I was appointed CEO for the Carvajal organization. Two days after that, all of our plants were closed. And I had gone through tough restructuring processes in my 20 years at Carvajal. And previously, I worked in the financial sector. I also worked in a startup. So I had some experience managing rough waters, but I never had an experience of where I wake up in the morning and all the plants were actually closed. So it was very challenging, but the first thing that we said is we had to make sure our people were safe. And especially in Carvajal, where we have a very strong people-centric culture, uh, a caring culture. So we started being having my, my direct reports and I was telling them we have to be very close to all of our employees and make sure they're fine and make sure their families are fine. Obviously, at the same time, I had to see how much cash we had on hand because I didn't know how long this was going to take. And we had a part of our governing process says that when the corporate CEO is family, the uh, chairman of the board is non-family. So there was a change in the board and chairman of the board. The new board, chairman of the board, had worked for PNG over 34 years. He had a lot of experience dealing with also these types of situations. Obviously, not something like COVID-19, but because it was the first one in over 100 years. But um, I think that we teamed up and said we have to have a meeting every week for about an hour. And I would just have a couple of short slides, tell the board meeting how we were doing, what decisions had to be made immediately. And next week we would meet for an hour and see how we had advanced. And it was hard because a lot of these decisions were remote. When we're used to talking directly with uh, our people and making decisions with our people. And I think that was challenging. But something that was fascinating was that employees, not only from the sea level, but from all the levels came up to me with ideas of how we could go through these months that we knew were going to be very rough and we could come out stronger. And it was that that I think was part of like the mystique that Carvajal has with its 17,000 employees, with its 118 year history, uh, over 300 family members, everybody wanted to help. And I think our challenge was to be extremely structured in how we would uh, design and implement very fast a lot of the decisions that were, were we were making, but it was a very nice experience that employees would come to me to tell me how we could make a lot, a lot of these changes. And I think that, that, that was an amazing experience. So tell me, Pedro, like, it, it's such an interesting phenomenon because as you said, like, you know, your first day was really not like any first day should have gone because like, as you said, like two days later, basically you had a pandemic at your hand. Like, so it's like 
you might think the worst time to take on a position like that because you get all the responsibility plus, to be fair, pretty much a worst case scenario, as you said, right? Like, so do you think it was actually a blessing in disguise that there was actually this much change on top of that crisis? Well, I think that something that I talked to the chairman of the board at that time, and he repeated it several times is we have to make sure we come out stronger. And obviously there was very long days. There was a lot of vulnerability, a lot of confusion of what was going on from all the news that we would get on, on a daily basis. And obviously in Latin America, in Colombia, we're very fortunate that we have a very good health system, but that's not the case in other countries where we operate. And there was lines of people that couldn't make it to the hospital. And it was obviously family members and, and employees. But I would say that I had the opportunity to make a lot of very important changes very rapidly that I think that it were needed. And coming in with this, with the chairman of the board and with the new dynamic that we had, I think it was an opportunity. And like we say, never let a good crisis go to waste. We have to make, we have to, out of this situation room or, or crisis room that we, that we had on a daily basis with my team, we started pulling different levers to protect the company because we did not know how long this was going to take. But in every decision, we felt like we were respecting our principles. We were respecting our purpose, which is extremely important for us. And we wanted to make sure that out of every single project that we were designing and implementing, we would come out stronger. In what areas of this was it an advantage and in what areas was it a disadvantage for you to be a family member CEO? Like, did you feel like, you know, did you feel uh, certain points that where you felt more pressure or where you felt inhibited as well, maybe by pressures from the family? So what areas where you felt like, actually, this is, I can only do this because I'm a family member. And what areas were you like, well, this is being made dif more difficult for me right now. So what, what do you think? Well, well, I think that as long as your values and your principles are always on the table when we're making a, a decision, I feel comfortable. Sometimes we have to be very hard with the problem and very respectful with the people. And when we're discussing the problem, we have to make sure that we, with the information that we had, and at that time it was 50, 60%, we didn't have all the information, but we had to make the decision. And like I tell them, we have to hold our hands and make the decision. So everybody is on board, yes. And if somebody for some reason didn't feel they were ready to say yes, they said, you know what? I'm committed. I need more information, but I'm in. The team, this is a team game and we have to make sure that we, we, we take it like that. What has fundamentally changed? What will never go back to how it was pre-pandemic or even before you took over? Like in, in your mind, like, you know, what are the things where you're like, okay, we have firmly moved on from certain things that don't serve us anymore in the, in the sort of, I guess, like the new world that we face after this massive global pandemic that we all experienced together. During the pandemic, 
we, we saw that there was many disruptive forces and a lot of behavior modifications. And what we have done as a, as a balance of, of where we stand today is that, for example, meetings where we need to make big decisions and have all the information have to be extremely productive from beginning to start. And we have to make sure that within one hour, we're able to make the decision. That happened during the pandemic, which we were all virtual and it worked. And today we're working it the same way. There's other meetings where we think that the face-to-face -face is important. So we moved on to having this hybrid where some are virtual, some are personal uh, meetings face-to-face. -face. But I think the most important is that we have all the information are extremely disciplined and get and stay with the best that the pandemic gave us. And one of those things is that I think it made us more productive. And there's a word that I don't really like, but I repeat it to, to the team a lot is make sure we don't procrastinate because today the market, what challenges us every day is to move much faster, to make decisions much faster, to be a lot more agile. And I think the pandemic gave us that opportunity to be a lot more productive. So in essence, what I would say, something that we're working on every day a lot more is to become more digital where we can, a little bit more sustainable where we can with our ESG strategy, but don't lose something that for me, it's extremely important concept, which is the culture. And the Carvajal culture, if you walk into a Carvajal facility, as soon as you walk in, you'll feel the culture. You'll feel the people-centric culture, the caring culture. Um, and I think that's something that uh, we cannot lose. Something that the employees every day say that they love about this company. Do you think that your definition of success as the CEO of the company today differs from previous generations of your of your family do you think like you know there's really been shifts well when i was growing up um and early teens um uh, i think i i i started to sinking a lot more in in the family conversations um and, and they repeated a lot about the carvajal foundation and the importance of the carvajal foundation And obviously at that time, nobody was talking about ESG. Um, but uh, one day I remember I asked my father, uh, do we have a foundation or do, do are we in the money-making business? Because you, you talk a lot, about, a lot about the foundation. And he said, no, it's in the 60s. What we decided to do to give back to the community is that the largest shareholder of the company is the foundation. And then... Can you please explain that a little more? Then as I was growing up, um, then the term conscious capitalism started coming in. Uh, but these uh, members of the th third generation led by Manuel Carvajal uh, in the early 60s started talking about this. Uh, and they said, and, and that's, I think it's totally incredible. And we're in, we're in 2023. Uh, and, and now we're talking about conscious capitalism 
and how important it is and to have an ESG strategy. And I think that uh, that when we set our purpose, for example, and we say that we promote economic and social development by doing things right, the economic part is there, which is extremely important. We have to create value for the shareholders, but the social part is also as important as the economic. How important do you think family involvement in the business side will be in order to promote this understanding also for future generations of the family? Something that we've done quite well is that we've been working on the governance structure. And we have the role of the family council, which is extremely important for us. Now that we have over 320 members, we're in the sixth generation. And I think the president of the family council and the family council do an extremely good job of managing the family. Then we have the company and the company has a board of directors. Out of those nine board of directors, five are independent. And then we have the shareholders that under the investors assembly, we have, they have the clear role of working with those investors. So every day we try to have this governance structure stronger, because I think that that's what's going to make sure that as we move along into the seventh generation, eighth generation, make sure that we have the governance structure extremely, extremely clear with the different boundaries. Now to your question, although we only have two family members working directly on a day-to-day job, there's a lot of family members pushing a lot of different projects to make sure these 320 plus family members are engaged with the company. One example is that we have the next gens, they sit in our board meetings. They cannot vote, they have voice. But in every meeting, what I've heard from these next gens is that they say that they're like in an MBA because they're learning a lot and they can have a deep understanding of what each of our companies have working on. Then we have another one that just started a, a few weeks ago, which I think it's an, a brilliant idea. It's called the Carva Talks. So the general manager of one of the divisions tells us what the business is, what the role of that company is, and what the opportunities that we have in the future. So you got people connected from different parts of the world because now 30 to 35% of the family li- members live abroad. So moving forward, I think that's the most important role to keep them engaged and to teach them to be responsible shareholders. Did you have that support that you just described is now being given to the next gens? And so how do you how do you recollect that? No, we didn't have a lot of these formal projects that I have mentioned, but I had one that was more important than that. It was the example of my father, my brothers and my sisters that every day came to work, extremely disciplined. My father worked for over 55 years at the company. I think he played an important role within the third generation because he he was 
the oldest of the third generation that was in the company and he had to play a role with the different cousins. And I think that was important, but that's what I, I learned. And it was by example. Do you make a conscious effort in saying like, okay, I'm, there, there are certain things I'm going to leave at the door. I'm not coming in as an owner. I'm really coming in as a, as a CEO. Like, you know, so what do you do in your mind? Do you compartmentalize or do you accept that it's a glorious mess and you sort of like you manage it as it comes? Like, what is the, what is your strategy there? Because I know that this can be a massive struggle for many family business leaders who are family members as well and owners. Yeah, I, I try to manage work-life balance as much as I can. I think that we live in a relatively small city where we could be a big fish in a small pond and we have to understand that role. But I think the most important mission that we have is one, to behave with the highest integrity to make sure that we live the family values and the business values. And as much as we can balance what we have to do on the day to day, where we know that the sun is hitting our face seven by 24, how we came in, what we said, how we said it. And that's all part of what, and we have to accept it. That's the reality. And when we get home, Try to be very present at that moment with the role that we play with the family. I'm very fortunate that although my wife is an entrepreneur and she has all the challenges of being an entrepreneur, she's extremely present with all the things that go around the, the our kids and the family. So I think she, she can work a lot more on, on that balance. But I think that... Um, we have to understand our role in society, in the company, in the family. And for me, the most important, independent of how challenging the times can be, is always have the family values and the company values very present and behave with the highest integrity. In all those areas, you face expectations, though. How do you experience the expectations that come with that visibility that you described just now? I think that there's expectations from society, especially what we're going through in the country, that we're going through some challenging uh, times in our country, also in our city, and they want us to step up to the plate to make sure that, and there's, there's a phrase that I like to repeat a lot, is uh, face reality and deliver hope. Because I think in these challenging times, they're looking at us to see, and depending on what they see in us, they can say, no, we're going to be fine. Because if that's not the message that we're trying to express, although we can have a lot of things in our head and we could be stressed out from many different reasons, we have to make sure that we know that we're always on stage. But the uncertainty continues at many levels. You went from like a very focused core traditional business at the beginning of, of the story of Carvajal to a very diversified and may I say quite complex business organization that has its does a lot of different things right now in a lot of different countries. And it's an incredible footprint that you've created. Are you an optimist? Do you still talk about like, you know what, 
I still have a plan for the next sort of like 20, 30 years, what this generation should achieve for Carvajal, or are you more focused on making sure that whatever you're doing, you remain extremely agile also in the mid and short term and can pivot? Like, what is your approach to to that situation? I think it was Bob Iger, the uh, president or CEO of Walt Disney that said, I, I heard him in a, in a conversation saying that if your business is not being disrupted, it's because it's going to disappear. So we have to start with that. Business disruption is in every single industry right now. It's going to come from different angles, but still, for example, we're in the food service business. So if you go to McDonald's, for example, and the cups or your cheeseburger or your, your, your hamburger, those types of packaging is what we do in the food service business. Where is that disruption coming from? They need much more sustainable products. And that's what we're working on. And I think that we have to, like somebody said, protect the core and pivot the future. And that's the way that we're organized inside our organization. We have an operations committee where we're always looking at the short term, what happened last month, what's going to happen in the next three months. And then we have a totally separate conversation when we talk about strategy. So the people that are sitting in that room or are having that conversation are talking about the next three to five years. And that's the way that that conversation goes. But we separate it because if you have it at the same time, then sometimes it gets contaminated. I think the expression that they use is that you have to be ambidextrous, that you have to work on the short term and at the same time, you have to invest in the long term. You look back at your father, you look at your uncles and your grandparents. I think it's very visible and tangible for you to explain what kind of an impact they've had right, on the business. I think it would be very easy for you to say, like, well, my father brought this to the table, my uncles and aunts did this and this and that. For you, which part of the story would you like to be the protagonist of, I think, when people look back? To be honest, I don't think about it that much. The way I'm wired is the present, but I think that the most important part is that we live our purpose and that every day, what the first, the second, the third generation taught us, we can serve as an example for future generations that, that what we constructed helped construct the next 100 years. And like I said, whether it's the most profitable business that you can imagine, if it's not right fitting our purpose, we don't do it. We don't do it. I think that 20, 30 years looking back, I think, continued with the legacy and prepared the company for the next 50 years. Because when you look back and what members of the third, second and first generation did, I think it's, they went through first world war. They went through the crisis of 1930s. They went to a second world war. And I could go on because uh, Latin America lives in a permanent convulsion and, 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 so if I tell you what's going on in the in our three top markets, you'd say, you, but you must be going nuts. <laughs> so we, we have a lot of ad adrenaline pumping every single day. And it's part of what keeps us 
you know, every morning awake and with a lot of energy to, to move forward. Pedro Carvajal, thank you so much for joining us today and for providing us answers to our burning questions. Thank you, Ramia. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.